بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين أبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين <coughs> We continue uh, with Fiqh al-Salah The Fiqh al-Salah from the chapter Bab The Sifat al-Salah Naam, we proceed with the description of al-Salah Right, last week we ended off discussing the various types of Dua'ul Istiftah The various types of the Opening sub or the various opening supplications that we have in the in the Sunnah of Rasulullah Sallallahu So we mentioned four examples, right? We mentioned four examples. <coughs> the first one we spoke about was Wajahtu Wajahiyya right? Then we said Allahumma ba'id bayni wa bayna khatayaya kama ba'atta bayna al-mashriki wa al-maghrib Allahumma naqini min al-dhunubi كما من خطايا كما ينقى الثوب الأبيض من الدنس اللهم اغسلني من خطايا بالماء والثلج والبرد right that's the second one we explained what they mean then we spoke about سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك وتبارك اسمك وتعالى جدك ولا إله غيرك right this is the one that was taught by عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله عنه he taught this to the people and the fourth one probably the easiest one was we said wajahtu Allahu Akbar kabira walhamdulillahi kathira wa subhanallahi bukratan wa asila right that is the fourth example of du'aul istiftah you choose one for each salah or for any salah you choose one the next salah you try and do a different one this is the best way to combine between them and after the du'aul istiftah comes before the fatiha comes before the bismillah comes So we start obviously takbiratul ihram, Allahu Akbar. You choose a dua al istiftah. A'udhu billah. Isti'adha. The isti'adha. The seeking of refuge or the seeking of protection. So we say, A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajim. At least. A better option is to say, A'udhu billahi al-sami'il alimi min ash-shaytanir rajim. Min hamzihi wa nafthihi wa nafkhihi. Right? We explained this also last week as to what is meant by this. Min hamzihi wa nafkhihi wa nafthihi. Right? That was the last uh, hadith that we discussed. This explanation of the isti'adha. That the Prophet used to say. Tayyib. And we spoke about why this is a good thing. Because shaitan is there to disrupt your salah, to disturb you. The first thing we do when we start is we seek refuge in Allah against shaitan, right? So it makes sense so that we can focus properly on our, on our prayer. The next hadith is narrated by Aisha radiallahu anha. Qalat, she said, كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يستفتح, يستفتح الصلاة بالتكبير. She says that he used to open the salah with a takbir and we know what this means with the takbiratul ihram right of course this means the takbiratul ihram and then she says 
wal qira'ah and by reciting so he started the salah with takbiratul ihram and then with qira'ah with recitation bi alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin he started the salah with recitation of alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin yani suratul fatiha suratul fatiha why is it called suratul fatiha suratul fatiha means the the opening chapter it's referred to the op- as the opening chapter because it's the opening chapter of the quran meaning the first surah in the quran this doesn't mean it was the first surah that was revealed this we know is surah alaq iqra was the first the first five ayat of surah iqra or alaq was the first revealed fatiha is called fatiha because it's the opening chapter of the book right and this surah has many yani, benefits to it statuses to it for example it's the greatest surah in the quran surah al-fatiha is the greatest surah in the quran secondly it's also the surah that is a rukun of every salah surah fatiha is a rukun of the salah there is no salah without surah al-fatiha and thirdly it is also a ruqyah it's also considered as a a ruqyah yani it is something that should be recited seeking by it a cure from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the prophet said to one sahaba wa ma yudrik annaha ruqyah how did you know that it's a ruqyah because there's an incident with the sahabi he went and he recited surah fatiha over this person who became sick he was a leader of a, of a village and so forth long story short it is a a ruqyah understand surah fatiha specifically so it has many other benefits to it and has many other fadail and virtues to it ibn usaymin then does a short tafsir of surah fatiha and we will run through it briefly shorter than he short basically right just so that we have a general understanding of the fatiha as well just so that we have a general understanding of what the fatiha means because this is also of utmost importance we talk about sifa to salah is one thing but not understanding the fatiha properly is also a, a major issue which, which which directly affects the salah so the first part of the fatiha starts alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin so in yesterday's dars we spoke about Allah's name Al-Hamid, the praiseworthy. And we spoke about Alhamd. Alhamd, we spoke about. And how Alhamd is... Sorry? Actually, Alhamid is derived from Alhamd, right? But anyways, we said that Alhamd is deserved unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? And we spoke about how he is deserved of praise. How he is entirely deserved of praise for many reasons and we summarize them into two main reasons which are that number one the favors of allah all that he does for us of goodness of ihsan of excellence therefore he's deserved of praise and we ran through examples of this and we said because of his perfect self his names his attributes his being is perfect in every sense therefore he's deserved of all praise so alhamdu means Alhamd, yani all praise. And this is a, it's an action of love. It's an action of shukr. It's an action of glorification. Saying Alhamdulillah is an action of glorification. You are showing the greatness of Allah. 
you are showing your love for Allah and your appreciation, your gratitude, your thanks to who? To Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what Alhamdulillah means. That we attribute all of this, all praise, all thanks is unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You understand? So the statement Alhamdulillah is a beautiful and a powerful statement. And it means a lot. It means a lot. Something happens, the first thing the believer says, anything good, we say Alhamdulillah. You achieved something, we say Alhamdulillah. This is something that should be on our tongues all the time. Anything major, anything minor, Alhamdulillah. Because we understand it's only because of Allah. And everything has to go back to Him. And everything comes from Him. And everything has to be attributed of goodness unto Him. No evil can be attributed unto Him. As we explained this hadith last week as well. That Asharru laysa ilayk. The Prophet said that evil cannot be unto you. Right? So Alhamd is a description of praise, of complete praise and, and love and glorification for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No, it depends what happens. So if it's a calamity, we say, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. Somebody passes away. Somebody is, ends up in an accident. You understand? We can say, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi Because the Quran says so. That, إِذَا أَصَابَتُمْ مُصِيبَةٌ قَالُوا إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ If they are afflicted with any musibah, musibah is a calamity. If they are afflicted with a calamity, they say, إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ We know the ayat, Surah Baqarah, right? That's what Allah said in the Quran. So if there's a calamity, we say, it's not limited to death. It's a calamity. You feel it's a calamity, you know? You can say, Inna lillahi, no issue. The other thing that we have to say is, huh, something goes against your plan. You intended something, something bad happened. You had a good intention, something bad happened. Or something happens in that, yani it, you, for you it's something bad. As you said, something bad, right? What do we say? Allahu wa ma That's what we say. Allahu wa ma this is what Allah has decreed. And he does whatever he wants. That's what it means. It's a reminder for yourself that you may not like it, but this is the decree of Allah. This is the work of Allah. And he does what he wants, what he pleases, as he wishes. It's to remind you that you are not in control. And it also reminds you, put your trust in Allah. Huh? There's times when you think and you perceive something to be bad. But what does Allah say? Khairu lakum is good for you. And the opposite as well. When you think something, you, you are tuhibbu shay'an. You love something and you think it's good. But it's bad for you. It's evil for you. Wallahu ya'lamu wa antum la ta'lamun. Allah knows whilst you do not know. Understand? Allah knows what's happening. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what's in secret. He knows what's happening. You only know what's in front of you. You have no idea what's going to happen five seconds later. Two seconds later. So, قَدَّرَ اللَّهُ مَا is something that we need to say to remind ourselves. You know, something we can get upset. Before you get angry, you should remind yourself with قَدَّرَ اللَّهُ مَا شَافَعَلْ قَدَّرَ اللَّهُ مَا شَافَعَلْ You understand? And I remember this, this 
from Kitabu Tawheed's lesson. I remember the saying this. That Sheikh Fawzan in his commentary he said, when we spoke about this issue, he said, when you say Qadar Allahumma Shafa'al, it will fix everything. Everything will be rectified after that. Because this shows your sabr. This shows your belief. It's in the hands of Allah. You might get agitated. You might at times, you know, get a little bit angry. You might lose a little bit of control. But you are trying to, you know, you are trying to rectify the, the issue. You are trying to remind yourself. Qadar Allahumma Shafa'al. And when you settle with that and you have your sabr and you put your trust in Allah, you will see everything will, will rectify itself. When we say itself, it means by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He will rectify your affairs. Man. But what's required is you have that sabr. In, and of course, even with a calamity, when we say inna lillahi and so forth. So, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, all perfect praise. And again, when we say Alhamdulillah, this is a statement of gratitude. It's a statement of glorification for Allah, the, showing the greatness of Allah. And it's a statement of love towards Allah. That out of your thankful, you ask your, it's your love for Allah, but you say Alhamdulillah, you know? It's a, a, these three things are incorporated at least within your statement of Alhamdulillah. It's for who? Alhamd is for Allah alone. He's for Him alone. And He's the only one that's deserved of Alhamd. Nobody else deserves perfect praise like this. That's full of love, full of gratitude, full of glorification. In a perfect way, completely deserved of all praise is only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Lillahi. Only for Him. Who is He? Rabbil Alameen. His attribute is who? The Lord of Al Alameen. And we said Al Alameen means. Everything besides Allah. If you get Allah, then you get everything else. You get the Creator, then you get the rest of creation. From His Arsh to the seven heavens, to the seven earths, and everything in the earth, and everything in the, in the heavens. Malaika, jinn, animals, insan, insects, human beings, etc. Everything is Alameen. And Allah is the Lord of the Alameen. Understand? So you get Allah, He is the Lord of Al Alameen, which is everything besides Allah. He is the Lord of everything in existence. That's what Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen basically means. It's important to understand what it means. Ar Rahman Ar Rahim. Two names of Allah. Ar Rahman, the. Who is Ar Rahman? They, uh, not they especially, the entirely merciful or the most merciful. Right? The most merciful or the entirely merciful. Ar Rahman is the. No, that's Ar Rahim. Ar Rahim is the bestower of mercy or the especially merciful. So Ar Rahman is the one who is described with mercy. He is the merciful one, the most merciful, the entirely merciful. His mercy covers everything, incorporates everything. All mercy comes from him. Right? He is Ar-Rahman. He is described with mercy. Ar-Rahim is the bestower of mercy. The one who sends mercy. Understand? This is the slight difference between the two. Okay? So Ar-Rahman is the one who is described with mercy. 
And Ar-Rahim is the one who descends his mercy, bestows his mercy upon others. Other scholars, that's one interpretation. And it's a good interpretation. Other scholars said that Ar-Rahman is the owner of mercy, of all mercy in a general sense. For good people, bad people, because everybody experiences the mercy of Allah. Right? Even the kuffar, even the atheists. The fact that they are alive is only out of the mercy of Allah. They are sustained, eat, drinking, breathing. Mercy of Allah. Wealth, it's a mercy of Allah. This is the work of who? Ar-Rahman. In a general sense. And Ar-Rahim is the owner of mercy in a specific sense. Meaning? To the Muslims only. To the believers only. وَكَانَ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَحِيمًا And he is Rahim to the believers, the Quran says. He is Rahim to who? To the believers. So he is the one who has a specific, special type of mercy towards the believers. That of guidance. That of that mercy that will guide you towards Jannah. To the straight path. Iman, Islam, belief, and so forth. This is for the believers. That's another interpretation of... Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. Understand? We can say that both are applicable. The one is described with mercy, he's full of mercy, he's the owner of mercy. Ar-Rahim is the bestower of mercy. He is the one who, you know, shows mercy to his slaves. No, no, we, this is the first interpretation. Right? The second interpretation is Ar-Rahman, the owner of all mercy, and he shows that mercy to all. But a rahim shows that mercy to the believers only. That's the second interpretation. Do you understand the difference between the two? So the first interpretation, Ar-Rahman, is only described with mercy. Described. Described. <coughs> Sorry? Described. described, yes. Like the one who is the most merciful. Right? The rahim is the one who shows the mercy, the bestower of mercy. The second interpretation is, Ar-Rahman is the one who has mercy in a general sense to all. But Ar-Rahim is the one who shows mercy, only special mercy to the believers. That's the two interpretations we could say of these two names. But both are applicable. Both is a good understanding and Allah knows best. Malik Yawmiddin. Malik is who? Malik. Another, another translation. Owner. Al-Malik is the owner. In another Qira'ah, how do we recite this verse? Maliki Yawmiddin. Malik is the? Al-Malik. We did this name before. Malik, the king. Al-Malik is the king. Right? So in one, in one Qira'ah says the owner of Yawmuddin, the other Qira'a says the king of Yawmuddin. And again, both are correct, right? Allah is the king of that day, and he's also the owner of that day. The master is also correct, right? This is another attribute of Allah. Um, um, we're talking about the Qira'a. Yes. Um, what I've, um, from the Salafi Salafun, which Sheikh it was, stated that if man made a decision, that you're only allowed to use one Qirat. So to prevent confusion, the other Qirat are not to be recited. Is it right? Wa'alam. 
Maybe for a specific time period or for specific people, yes, if it's correct. But not in a general sense that the others must never be recited. Again, look, the seven are all preserved. They are preserved. You understand? Just like the Quran is preserved, they are all preserved with the chain of narration and etc. I mean, the issue of getting confused, even in today's time, you know, do you recommend someone to just go into a normal masjid? There's only lay people and just to recite in a different qira'ah. It creates a fitna. In fact, just last night I was having it, we were talking about something, and uh, there was a random guy I met at the garage, we <coughs> were chatting, and he mentioned that one of the famous qaris in Cape Town, did tarawih one night, and the masjid was full, and he read in a different qira'ah. And after the, the, the tarawih, he says, there was like many people standing outside and, you know, committing riba. This was his point. And he said that they were all saying, the mankani is bachani, it's supposed to be like this, and he can't even decide properly, and he bachad wrong, this and that wrong. Not realizing what he was doing. You understand? So yes, in a, in a certain time, we don't recommend maybe just going out there and reciting in front of the people, especially in salah. Because a lot of the time the people is going to maybe even rectify you. Or they get confused. Or they get confused. Or it just creates a fitna. And the children use it out of context. That's the other issue. You know. So. Yes. But I mean it's, it's to be recited. It's to be studied. You know. Certain places you go to. That's what they recite. You go to Morocco for example. They recite differently. You go to different places. That is like we recite hafs. That's the Qira'ah that we recite in Saudi as well. But you go to other places, they don't recite Hafs. They recite Warsh. They recite something different. You understand? So, is one to be recited only? I don't think so. Uh, yes, at times it can create a fitna, then it's best to avoid. But in studying circles, uh, you read by yourself at home, or nowadays popular people do Qira'at in a sort of issue. People kind of expect it and they're waiting to hear it and for them it's like entertainment um, which is also a problem but I have to tell Allah if, he's, if that's authentic from Uthman I don't know and if it was then I would say it's most likely that he meant it in a specific time in a specific place that at this point let's just stick to one because people are getting confused but that doesn't mean we shouldn't go and study the Qiraat this is part of preservation of the of the Quran that was revealed in different dialects. Right? Allah knows best. So Maliki Yawmuddin, what is Yawmuddin? Day of judgment. Okay. Qiyamah is the day of standing. It's the same day. But Qiyamah has different names in the Quran. Right? Yawmutahabun. Yawmul Qiyamah, Yawmul Deen, right? And it's various names given for Qiyamah with different descriptions in the Quran. So, here we have the, the word Yawmul Deen, meaning Yawmul Jaza. It's the day of recompense. It's the day people will be repaid, recompensed, right? For what they did. As we know, this Deen. Yawmuddin, this deen, the religion, is a deen of amal and a deen of jaza. Meaning what? 
amal, it's a deen of action. Right? It's a deen that we have to act and, and, and have deeds. A'mal. And it's also a deen of jaza, reward. So on that day will be the day of jaza. Right? On that day, Allah, that day will be the deen of the day of jaza. So Allah says in Surah Kafirun, Lakum deenukum waliyadeen. Right? For you is your religion and for me is my religion. Your deen and my deen. What's, the, what's referred to this? This deen is deen of amal. This refers to deen of amal. You have your religion that you follow. This is, this is for kuffar, right? You have your religion and we have our religion. You do certain things and we do certain things. But on the day of Qiyamah will be a day of jaza. Right? We check Surah Infitar, Allah says, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا يَوْمُ الدِّينِ ثُمَّ مَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا يَوْمُ الدِّينِ And what will cause you to understand what the day of a deen is? And then Allah says again, And then, ثُمَّ What will cause you to understand? يَوْمُ الدِّينِ What is يَوْمُ الدِّينِ يَوْمَ لَا تَمْلِكُ نَفْسٌ لِنَفْسٍ شَيْئًا It's a day when no person will tamlik. He will own anything. He will be in charge of anything. It's a day when no person will have any authority over anything. You understand? He won't own anything. He won't have any authority over anything. Lillah. The entire matter and affair on that day will be with Allah. This is Yawmud Deen. So what Yawmud Deen is this? This is Yawmud Jaza. So the word Deen at times can refer to religion as an amal, as an actions. Like in Surah Kafirun, Lakum Deenukum Waliyadeen. And in Surah Infitar, when the word Deen is used, it's not referring to A'mal anymore, it's referring to the day of recompense. Yani on that day, if you did good, you will get good. And if you did bad, you will get bad. You will get, you will be paid back in full basically, without any oppression. For your good, you will see good. And for your evil, you will see evil. Yawmul Jaza, the day of recompense. That's what Yawmuddin means. Maliki Yawmuddin, Allah is the owner of that day. Maliki Yawmuddin, Allah is the king on that day. And he's in charge. Nobody is in charge. Yawma la tamliku nafsun li nafsin shay'a. Nobody will be in charge of anything. Nobody will possess anything on that day. The entire matter and affair is for who? On that day, Lillah. That's what the Quran says. The Quran is explaining itself. Do you understand? This ayah is basically an explanation of Maliki Yawmuddin. It's telling you what is Yawmuddin all about. So when you recite this ayah, it's supposed to instill fear in you. That I'm going to get to that day one day without a doubt. And I'm going to stand in front of Al-Malik, the owner of everything. The owner of myself, the owner of this world, this owner of the heavens, the owner of every person. And on that day, there will be no owner who owns anything except for Al-Malik. Likewise, I'm going to stand in front of the king, Al-Malik. The king of all kings, the king of everything. Huh? And on that day, there will be no king but him. And Allah will say on that day, Aina mulukul ard. Ana Al-Malik, I am the king. Where are the kings of, this, of, of the earth? Where are they? There will be nobody there. You understand? 
So this ayah is an important ayah that we see the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a reminder every salah to remind yourself of this. Even if you think of the previous ayah, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, it's a reminder. This is who Allah is. When we talk about the Lordship of Allah, we spoke about Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. He's the Lord of all that exists. But His Lordship is built upon Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Understand this connection? His Lordship is built upon Rahmah, is built upon mercy for all and especially for the believers. This is the reminder we recite over and over and over. Maliki Yawmiddin, now we see the greatness of Allah, the grandeur of Allah, the King, the owner of everything, even of the last day, even of the day of Jaza, where there will be no owner, no king, but him. Yawma la tamliku nafsu li nafsi shay'a, wal amru yawma idhid lillah. Tayyib. And then, Iyaka na'budu, wa Iyaka nasta'een. What does this mean? Thee do we worship and? Thee alone do we ask for help. Okay. So, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ Firstly. Right. Now, normally in Arabic, we, we, we could have maybe said نَعْبُدُكَ نَعْبُدُكَ means we worship you. نَعْبُدُكَ We worship you. Right. Our worship is for you, or we worship you. But Allah flipped it around and He said, Right? Na'budu is a verb. We worship you. Right? Now, when it's flipped around in Arabic, it has a stronger effect. So to say, thee do we worship, is actually... Not giving the translation is due justice. Thee do we worship. Because when it's flipped around, you feed al-hasr. This is the, it's, a, it's a principle in the Arabic language. Which means, it doesn't just mean you do we worship. It means you alone do we worship. Understand? It's a slight difference, but it's an important difference. You alone. Iyaka. Na'budu, do we worship? You alone, do we worship? If it was flipped around, Na'budu iyak, then we could have translated it as, Thee, do we worship? But we also worship others. You understand? Iyaka na'budu means, You alone, do we worship? There's a, there's a subtle difference, and it has been placed like this in, in the Quran for a reason. Right? Emphasizing uluhiyya and tawheed. That worship is for Allah alone. Ibadah is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ And you alone, do we ask for help? Do we seek assistance from? Understand? That we understand that we're asking then help, help from you. With this matters of this dunya or the akhirah. Right? We understand it only comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, do we ask others for help? We ask others at times. When there's a sabab, right? When there's a cause. 
And when we need somebody's help for something that they are able to provide, knowing full well that they can only help us if Allah allows them to help us, if Allah gives them the ability to help us. Right? And we've spoken about this issue in Kitab Tawheed, Isti'ana. When is it allowed to ask others for help? Right? That person must be alive, that person must be present, must be, you can't ask somebody who is in another country. Okay, if you speak on the phone, that's one thing. Right? Thirdly, he must be Qadir. He must be able to help you. You do not ask somebody for something that's out of his control, that's out of his ability. He must be able to help you. And the famous example that I think I gave that time, I'll give it again is, I cannot ask you to cause it to rain. I cannot ask you for help for this. I cannot ask you for uh, shifa. Because this is not in your hands. This is only in the hand of Allah. Then it becomes major shirk. But to ask you for something simple, that's in your ability, you are alive, you're present, this is permissible, and we have to still believe that ultimately it still comes from Allah. You understand? Ultimately it still comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That, you know, even if a person has the money, even if a person has the ability, it's still dependent on Allah's will and Allah's help that you will be helped, and so forth. Right? إِهْدِنَ الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ And we then say, the first part of the Fatiha now was praising Allah. Was mentioning who Allah is, His attributes, His names, and praising Allah. Now we make dua. And there's another lesson in this which is, from the etiquettes of dua, from the etiquettes of dua is, that you praise Allah first, and then you ask. Right? This is a sunnah. Prasam taught this as well. That when you want to ask, praise Allah first. Mention his names, mention his attributes, praise him, speak to him. And say, like for example, we worship you alone, Ya Allah. We ask of you alone, Ya Allah. You are Al-Hamid, you are Al-Majid, you are Al-Kareem. You are the first and the last. You are, and we learn the names for these reasons. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, you are the Lord of the worlds. Al-Fatah, all praise and thanks is for you alone. Nobody's deserving of this praise except you. Right? You are Al-Wahhab. And so forth. Right? And then you ask. Surah Fatiha also teaches us this. This etiquette. Praise Allah first and then you ask. Ihdina sirat al-mustaqeem. Guide us to the sirat. The path. Which path? Al-mustaqeem. If we stopped and we said, guide us to the, the path. Technically, yani, we know what's meant by this. We're asking Allah for guidance. You can't ask Allah for misguidance. But the Quran emphasizes which path? Mustaqim. The straight path. The right path. The path of, where there's no misguidance. There's no deviation. Right? Sirat al-ladhina an'amta alayhim. Further emphasis on which path you are looking to be on. Further emphasis on which path, which path you are asking Allah for. The path upon which you have bestowed your favors or your bounties. And we explained this, explained this the other night. What path is this? The Salaf al-Salih, yes. Fair enough. For Quran and Sunnah, yes. Khulafa, okay. Okay, that's basically the Salaf you just mentioned, the Sahaba, the Tabi'een, the Atba'u Tabi'een. 
That's, that's what we understand as the Salaf, the righteous predecessors. What else? I gave the tafsir from another ayah in the Quran of this part. What, what, what was the ayah? Huh? Surah Nisa. In Surah Nisa, there's an ayah that explains this ayah basically. Also speaks about the Sirat upon which Allah bestowed His bounties. Sirat al An'ama Allahu alayhim. Sirat al That path which upon which Allah bestowed His favors. An'ama Allahu alayhim. From whom? From amongst the minan. Nabiyyin wa siddiqin wa shuhada'i wa salihin. This is the path that Allah says in Surah Nisa, the path of whom he bestowed his favors, which is the, the path of the prophets. Wasiddiqeen, the righteous, truthful ones, like Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, like others like him. Washuhada, and the true martyrs, those who died in the path of Allah, wasalihin, and the pious, righteous people. This is the Sirat al An'amta alayhim. They are the ones who are truly on this path. You are asking Allah to put you on a similar path. That's what this ayah means. The path upon whom you bestowed your favors. Like the path of the prophets, the Siddiqeen, the Anbiya, i.e. the Shuhada, the martyrs, and the Salihin. This is the dua that we make in every salah. And we don't stop there. غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين. Know those who incurred your anger and know those who have gone astray, been misguided. Right? Know those who have the anger of Allah upon them, know those who have been misled, misguided. Right? Specifically, the head of these groups are the Jews and the Christians. The head of the مغضوب عليهم is the Jews. Why? Because they did not act upon their knowledge. And the Dalim was the Christians because they never had knowledge. They followed their desires. Understand? Although, as Ibn Uthaymin says, after the coming of the Prophet the Christians now have the truth to see as well. So they are also maghdubi alayhim. It's not to say that they don't have the anger of Allah upon them. You understand? That's why we say at the head of those groups. But both groups are misguided. Both the groups are Dalim. And both groups are maghdubi alayhim. Both groups have the anger of Allah upon them, without a doubt. Understand? So, from this ayah, or this, this na'am, we see three types of people. You got the person who is knowledgeable of the haqq, and he follows the haqq. This is the first group. Those on the right path, the path upon whom Allah bestowed his bounties. They know the truth, they learn, they study, they acquire knowledge, and they follow that knowledge of Quran and Sunnah. Secondly, you got a group who knows the truth, but they do not follow the truth. They oppose the truth, like the Jews did. You understand? That's the second group, Maghdubi alayhim. And then you got the third group who was Jahil, Juhal, no knowledge, ignorant, and they followed the desires. They didn't follow the haqq. They, they didn't seek knowledge. They just followed blindly. They just followed here and there. And this is why they were referred to as the Dalin. You understand? Can it, can it be, uh, that, that 
Why not? It's a possibility. It's a possibility. You understand? It's, as we said, it's not restricted to Jews and Christians only. They are the head of those groups. Was, this was their characteristics. So I'll give you a statement of the Salaf, Sufyan ibn Uyayna. Rahimahullah. Sufyan ibn Uyayna was one of the great Imams of Ahlul Sunnah from the classical Imams of the Salaf, the Tabi'een. Right? Narrator of many hadith. Sufyan ibn Uyayna, he said, whomsoever goes astray and whomsoever is corrupted from our scholars, meaning from the people that has knowledge, those who studied, those who sought knowledge, then he is something similar to the Jews. Because he studied, got the knowledge, and still went astray. And whomsoever is corrupted from our ubad, meaning from those worshippers, those who used to worship Allah, then they are similar to the Christians. Meaning, they were just worshippers. They're not ulama. They were just, meaning they just used to worship masjid, salah, this, that, to various good things that they thought was good. But when they go astray, and they corrupt themselves, they are something similar to the Nasara. This is what he said. So, those two groups are like at the heads of the Maghdub and Dalim. But those characteristics still exist. Understand? The characteristics of not following the truth when you know it is still around. The characteristic of not seeking the truth and just following is still very much around. You understand? We are asking Allah in this surah for guidance to the first group, which are those who study the truth, who look for the truth, who study the Quran and the Sunnah, because the truth must come from the Quran and Sunnah. If it's from anywhere else and it's not in the Quran and Sunnah, it's not the truth. You understand? Al-ilmu ma qala Allah wa qala Rasul wa qala Sahaba. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah said, true knowledge is what is found in what Allah said, what the Rasul said, and what the Sahaba said. That's ilm. That's true, real knowledge. That is what we need to find and seek and we need to follow that. This is what the first part of the of the dua means. Ihdina surat al-mustaqim, surat al-ladina an'amta alayhim. Khair maghdubi alayhim means that you don't want to be of those who have the anger upon him, meaning you don't want to be of those who saw the truth, knows the truth, but doesn't follow it. Well, nor do you want to be like those who don't seek the truth, who don't have knowledge, and just follows his whims and fancies, or follows blindly. This dua is a all-encompassing dua for guidance. It's a powerful dua. And it's something that has been placed out of the hikmah of Al-Hakim, the most wise in this surah, which is the Sab'ul Mathani, as Allah says, the seven oft-repeated verses. Yani Allah made it such that we recite these verses at least 17 times a day in the fara'id of the salah. Because this is the importance of asking Allah for this type of guidance. You understand? So, and this is again, Ibn Uthaymi now says that when you really delve into the depth of the surah, right? You go into the depth of the surah, you start to see the hikmah of the surah. You start to see the hikmah of why the surah is called Ummul Quran. The mother of the book. The mother of the Quran. The foundation of the Quran. Huh? Because all of the meanings of the Quran, in a general sense, goes back to this book. So, so should I say the surah? Right? 
as we said, knowledge of history, Jews and the Christians. We said, the state of the Ummah, look at this, we explained it now, the state of three different groups of how they, you get different people in this world, right? We spoke about this now, three different groups, the, the messengers, right? All of these various ideas, Allah's names and attributes, Tawheed, His Rububiyah, His Uluhiyah, His Asma'il Sifat. We spoke about the last day, we spoke about Yawmuddin. And now there will be no Malik and no Malik on that day except Allah. You've got to prepare yourself to meet him. That's also found in Surah Fatiha. We spoke about Alhamd. How all that is, is only due unto Allah because of his greatness. Because of who he is. All of this is found in Surah Al-Fatiha. And this is a brief tafsir. This is not a in-depth tafsir of the Surah. This is a brief tafsir of Surah Fatiha. Right? So... Ayatul Kursi, the Sheikh says, is the best ayah in the Quran. Qul Allahu ahad is equivalent to a third of the Quran. Right? But yet, can you make salah without it? Yes? Don't have to read Ayatul Kursi. Don't have to read Qul Allahu ahad. But the Fatiha is a rukun, it's a pillar of the salah. Without it, you must repeat your salah. You lift it out, repeat the salah. You understand? This shows there is something about the surah that is full of hikmah in it. You can go very, very deep. And the Sheikh mentions, if you want to go deep and you want to really increase and you should read the book Madarij Salikin, which is again of Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, where he brings, the, the book is in Arabic, is at least four to six volumes long. No, we won't. It's too big. It's four to six volumes long and he speaks about the Fatiha. He, and he expounds upon... In fact, the theme of the book is Iyakana Abudu wa Iyakana Sta'in. In four to six volumes, and he brings out all types of tipahut, right? Deep, beneficial things, and Allah knows best. Tayyib, we come back to the hadith, right? We've been to the bed of the Fatiha, right? Now we come back to the hadith. The hadith then says, Aisha then says that Wakana ida raka'a lam yash khasra sawa lam This we explained already. That when he made ruku' he did not lower his head, nor did he raise his head. Rather, he kept his head between the two, i.e. straight and parallel with his back, in line with his back. Right? We explained this already. وَكَانَ إِذَا رَفَعَ مِنَ الرُّكُوعِ لَمْ يَسْجُدْ حَتَّى يَسْتَوِي قَائِمًا And when he stood up from the ruku' he did not go down for sujood unless until he stood up straight. Right? And again, we explain this in detail. When you come up from the ruku' you have to be Standing straight. Tuma'nina must come into place. You must be standing still with a pause until all of the bones in your back goes back to its place. Right? We explained this before. And in every two raka'at, he would recite the tahiyya. Meaning the tashahud. Right? Um, okay? Wakana. يُفْرِشُ رِجْلَهُ الْيُسْرَى وَيَفْرَشُ رِجْلَهُ الْيُسْرَى وَيَنْصَبُ الْيُمْنَى And he used to sit in this iftirashan, meaning, again, we know what this means. He used to sit on his left foot with his right foot propped up, right? Iftirash. Sit on the left foot with the right foot upright. This we know, this is the, 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 the basic way that we sit in the salah. And we know in the last rak'ah of the three and four rak'at, he would sit. Mutawarrikan meaning in tawarruk with the left foot underneath 
and with his backside on the floor. وَكَانَ يَنْهَى عَنْ عَقَبَةِ الشَّيْطَانِ And he used to forbid sitting like a shaitan. Like the sitting of the devil. Right? And we're going to get to um, what that means. Okay, the Sheikh mentions it here. Um, right? So, sitting like the shaitan is there's difference of opinion over what this means. Right? Khalid, come, come sit here and see. Okay, so some ulama said that you put your feet up, both your feet, turn around, let me see. Sit, okay, now open your feet up, sit on the floor. Right? That is the one way, this is considered forbidden. Not right to the back, no. Uh, sitting, meaning look at his feet. That's the main thing, right? The feet is on the side of the... Yes, he's sitting between his feet and sitting on the floor, right? That yeah. is what's so considered. Like in, between the, in, in between the feet, yes, right? The other opinion is... Um, similar to that, but the feet are flat. So your feet are flat on the ground and you sit like that, yes. Right? I think I showed this one before. This is also not permissible. Right? That's also not permissible. And the third one is, sit on the ground, put your feet up, uh, bring your feet to the front. Right? Now prop your legs up. Prop your legs up. Up, up, like this. Like this. Both legs. And put your hands behind you. Like that. That is also, iqa. it's mentioned, which is haram. Right? No, no, we're talking about the tahiyah, the salah. That is a forbidden way of sitting and the other two examples that we showed, right? That is forbidden. Those, those are the three opinions of what's meant by this statement, that he forbid sitting like the devil. So those are the three opinions of what is meant by that. Yani that is forbidden. To sit in those three ways he sat now, all three we say is not allowed. During the salah only. We're not talking about outside the salah. Talking about sitting in the salah. Outside salah is something different. We're speaking about inside the salah. Right? So that is the three opinions of what is meant by... You might as well just... While you're there, I'm going to show you another one. So put both the feet up again. Put them together. No, no, no. Not normal. Behind you. Put both the feet... Prop the feet up like with your toes facing Qibla. Like this. Right? Now sit on your feet. Now this was permitted by Abdullah ibn Abbas. Right? Sitting like that, I'm going to speak about this, was permitted by Abdullah ibn Abbas, a sahabi. He said this is a sunnah. This was his words. Abdullah ibn Abbas said to sit like this is also a sunnah. But only between the two sajdas. Not in the tahiyyat. To sit like this, they regard it as a sunnah to sit between the two sajdas. To sit like that, but not for the tahiyat first or last. The first tahiyat you sit if the Russian, let me see. The first tahiyat, no, no, no. no that's, no. The, that's the second tahiyat. Turn around, right? That's for the first tahiyat. This sitting is the best for the whole salah, 
except for the second tahiyat where you sit tawarrukan, which was the first one you did. Right? Understand this. If you want to sit on the on the on the heels like, like he showed, then you do that for between the sajdas. Right? According to certain ulama. According to Ibn Uthaymin, he says you should just avoid all of it. You just do the two types. Tawarruk, which is the last rak, the last ashahud, and the first and the between the you just do the normal sitting of iftirash. Understand? Tayyib. Then she says that he used to also forbid um, laying yourself out like a dog on your forearms in the sujood. Right? So in the sujood, that's the one we showed this last week or the week before as well. Where you make sujood and your elbows are laying on the ground. This is also forbidden. Right? This is also for the person likened this to a dog, which shows it's haram. It's something ugly and disliked. To lay on the arms is disliked. And he used to complete the salah with the taslim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Tayyib. Firstly, some benefits of this hadith. Right? Some benefits of this hadith. Benefit number one is that the Prophet did not recite loudly with the istiftah, nor the isti'adha. Because Aisha says she start, he started reading with Alhamdulillah Rabbil That's what the hadith says. He started the salah with the takbir and then with alhamdu, which means du'aul istiftah is soft, a'udhu billah is soft, and what else is soft? Bismillah. Ir Rahman Rahim is soft. Because she says he started the salah with alhamdulillah rabbil alameen and not with bismillah ir Rahman Rahim, alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Understand? So this hadith proves that all three should be done softly istiftah, opening supplication. Isti'adha, a'udhu billah, and bismillah should be done softly, then you start reciting loudly with alhamdulillah to the end of the fatiha. Right? The hadith also proves that ruku' is a, is a rukun. To make ruku' is a rukun in every rak'ah. You cannot do it without the, without the ruku'. If you miss the ruku', what must you do? You have to go back to that rak'ah and redo the rak'ah. Or you have to Repeat the salah if you if the salah time has gone by. Understand this? You cannot make sajda to sahu at the end to make up for a rukun. Sajda to sahu is for what? If you missed a wajib of the salah. If you missed a rukun of the salah, you have to go back to your in the, to the rukun and go back to that point and then continue. Understand? But if you missed the whole rakah or you missed the whole rukun, any rukun. Right? There is no such. If you miss the wajib, then you can make sajdatut sahu at the end. Right? So this is important to understand the difference. So the ruku' is a rukun in every rak'ah. Right? Coming up from the ruku' is also a rukun. Hadith mentions it that when he came up from the ruku', so this proves it's a rukun. You cannot stay in the ruku' and then go into sujood and skip the coming up part. Coming up is a a rukun. Sujood is also a rukun. Coming up from sujood is also counted as another rukun. Understand? Sujood is counted as a rukun. Coming up from the sujood, that's sitting. The coming up part is also considered as a, a rukun. Right? Also, you have to sit still in that part where you are sitting and you are still. As you come up between the sajdas. This we spoke about. And it must be tuma'nina. So you don't come up, rabbi fili, rabbi fili, and you go down and there's no tuma'nina. You have to be sitting. 
dead still. And then you say, Rabbi Ghfirli, Rabbi Ghfirli, and then you can go down. If you want to say the longer one, that's fine. Right? What is also proven by this hadith is that the shahud in every two rak'ahs, every second rak'ah, there must be a tahiyah or tashahud. Right? That's what the hadith mentions. So we know in Fajr, there'll only be one, which means you will sit with iftirash. Right? Like the normal sitting, not with the foot coming out. And you will recite the whole tahiyat. From at-tahiyatul, right till the Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad. And the du'as that come after that. Like Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min a'adhabi jahannam. And then you make the taslim. You understand? If you are making a third, like it's a three or four raka'at prayer, like maghribu isha, there will be two tahiyat. The first tahiyat you will sit as we showed, iftirashan, the normal sitting. On sitting on your left foot with your right foot propped up. And you will recite the tahiyat until which point? Where do you stop the tahiyat? Ashadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashadu anna muhammadan rasulullah. Wa ashadu anna muhammadan abdu rasulullah depending on the narration. But that's where you stop and you come up. Some like Imam Shafi'i said you say Allah salli ala muhammad then you come up. Others said you say the whole Allah salli ala wa ala muhammad kama salaita. But what did we, I think, did we talk about this before? We stop at Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah, Ashadu anna Muhammad, and then we come up. If you say Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, I don't see any problem with that, but it's best to stop because this was the teaching of the Prophet. In the second tahiyat, you will then recite the, the whole one, and this is something that is clear. Another important point here is is the tahiyah, the tashahud, a rukun? Is it a rukun? Is both a rukun? Is one a rukun? What's the issue? So if you look at the context of the hadith, you could say it's a rukun because she's mentioning all of the, all the things she's mentioning is like arkan. You understand? But the sunnah explains the sunnah in other places. And we have a hadith where Rasulullah missed the first tashahud. He missed the first tashahud. It can happen. Sometimes in the second rakah you go straight up. So you missed the tashahud. So what happened was is, he made up for it by making sajda to sahwa at the end. He missed it. He didn't go back to it. He completed the salah and made sajda to sahwa at the end. What does this prove? That the first tahiyat or the first tashahud is a wajib of the salah and not a rukun of the salah. The second tashahud is a rukun of the salah. How else are you going to complete the salah? I don't think anybody can miss this, the second tashahud, right? The first tashahud is possible that you can miss. Out of forgetfulness, you go straight up. If you realize that you missed it, you complete the salah and you make sure you make the sajda at the end. Right? Because you missed the wajib. And you must make up for that wajib by making the sajda at the end. Is this clear? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Um, Talk about that. Khitamu salah bit taslim. Right? The last issue you take is that the salah has to be ended off with the taslim. And this is clear. You have to say assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Some ulama said you must only say one. The second one is a sunnah. Right? And some ulama say you have to say both. You have to say both. To the right and to the left. And this is the strongest view and Allah knows best that you have to say both. To the right 
and to the to the left and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best right so that's how you end of the salah there's no other salam in the, in the salah except at the end and this is where you say to the right assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah Khalid sit there please right when you do the taslim there's no need for this right just nod look at me assalamu alaikum you nod and you do this and then you come back and you nod and you do that right the nodding business is not there right the taslim is simple when you about to finish you say assalamu alaikum look at me assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah say it the way i said it no, I didn't do that. You see, you're not looking. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Right, it doesn't have to be a pause there, but I'm just trying to show you the action. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Right? Basically, as you say rahmatullah, you move your head. And assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. There's nothing of that nod in between or the nod before you do it. There's nothing like that. Right? Many of us were taught like that, I think. Right? A lot of people do it. Because we would, I remember when I was young, I was taught like that. You need to do the nod. Right? I don't know where the nod comes from. But assalamu alaikum is not there. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Right? You do the nod. It looks like it. <laughs> um, you don't realize it, yes. The other thing with the taslim, I don't know if it's going to come up later on, but sometimes the Prophet used to say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. So sometimes he added the barakatuh on for the first one only. So sometimes you would say, most of the time we say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, right? Sometimes you would say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, right? And when he made sunnahs, he would sometimes say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, Assalamu alaikum. That's for the sunnah salah. That you would cut out the rahmatullah for the second one, right? So again, these type of things you can try and do. At times you do this, at times you do that. When you're making sunnah, you can do that now and then. Not, not every like, second sunnah. Now and then. To know that you practice upon that sunnah. But the general way you're going to do it is normal taslim. Right? And then now and then, even in the fard, you will hear the imam say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Understand? And Allah knows best. Sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك